You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Leo Pice. This is WFHB Local News for Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on the latest developments within the Monroe County Election Board. More coming up in the bottom half of tonight's program. Also coming up in the next half hour, Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission met on July 3rd. At the meeting, the commission unanimously approved a primary plat for the Hopewell project. The plat will be in place of the former Legacy Hospital and will provide affordable housing to the community. Uh, but what's interesting, we did ask them sort of what are they hearing about Hopewell, and I thought it might be interesting for the RDC to hear some of that feedback. Um, and for some, they felt like Hopewell was starting to become a common name. You know, like people, when you say Hopewell, people know where that is. And yet others said, I'm not sure it's really catching on yet, but it's definitely growing, right? So I think that, you know, how is, how is the brand of Hopewell coming along? Um, and then IU Health said, we still have people asking what's happening at the Legacy Hospital, even though the hospital itself now is gone. Um, and so, you know, there is continues to be that need to get the word out, to continue to market about what Hopewell is about, that it is um, going to be bringing affordable housing, that's going to bring sustainability, as well as a lot of diversity of housing types. And so, um, you know, I think the need to continue to grow that presence of Hopewell, um, both online and others, continues to grow. And we heard that a lot and clear from the steering committee. So it's always nice to arm them with good information, but it's also to hear, we call it the word on the street, uh, what are you hearing? And uh, it's good to get that information as well. So um, I'll switch then and just talk a little bit about infrastructure and planning. Um, and I'm gonna focus on the quarter three, kind of what's coming here in quarter three. Um, one is while the design of the engineering of the roads for Hopewell West continues, which is where the legacy hospital is, um, we are uh, looking at the prep submitted the primary plan for the planning commission meeting on July the 10th. So that is coming up quickly on Monday. And Hopewell East, which was formerly called phase one East, um, we are looking at the contractor beginning on site the week of next uh, July 10th as well. So um, you may see some utility trucks out at Hopewell East, um, and that is uh, their way of preparing, her way of preparing for construction. Um, we think the earliest contractor milestone construction is doing that will be uh, in July as well. So be looking out for more construction activity to see. As far as the turnover of the property, we are, you know, we know contractually it's still to the end of the year, but. Uh, one of the most important things that we need is a stable stand of grass before that property can transfer. And if you haven't driven by lately, you will see that there is a nice stand of grass <laughs> that is starting there. So that is wonderful to see. That is uh, a critical piece because we don't want any of that dirt to go into our drainage system. So that's why it's so important to have that. So that's just a quick update on the infrastructure and planning. Um, as far as John mentioned, the core building, so you're going to hear a little bit more on that in one of the items, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time focused on that, but um, those are critical commitments that the city will have for the Brinkshore's Litex submission. 
The last thing that I want to touch on is just a little bit on development. And um, as promised, I am going to share my screen. And I'm going to just remind everybody on um, you know, the, the core discussion is about a development project. So it's not that we're going to take anything away from what's being talked about with core. But we also know with U3 Advisors, this is a snapshot of the original contract uh, schedule that was put in. You can see this little line that I have uh, shown here designates where we are. We're literally just at the beginning of their activities. I will tell you that we have completed this, uh, yeah, the, this kickoff has been completed. We had a day on site and we had a day that is um, about a half a day of other virtual meetings where they're just getting up to speed on things and they're starting to work on their market assessment. I thought it might also be helpful for you to see a little bit more details of what is actually coming in the next couple of weeks and we can send this to the um, to you I just just got it from you three but basically with their focus on you know obviously still getting up to feed feed the informational interviews are going uh, even happen as of late on Friday and then the real focus here is on sites eight nine and ten um, they are doing a quick market research and analysis to see um, how we match up with some of the proposals that are being proposed and with the hope that as we get to uh, bringing we're going to bring back I'm just kind of skipping around here but you know intern meetings we're going to bring in the interview respondents um, and we're going to uh, bring the group back together and uh, talk to them about what that really looks like and then do a bid leveling so that we know how do we compare them apples to apples then ultimately the goal is by mid-August that we know whether we're going to recommend um, continuing on with any of these or not um, but I just want to give you a kind of sense of how those activities lay out in a more detailed level as we get to the middle of August. So happy to answer any specific questions you have, but that uh, is my update for today. Since the plan was approved by the commission, the resolution now moves to the plan commission for approval. Mary Catherine Carmichael and Deb Kunes presented on behalf of the Hopewell Project and asked the commission for approval of an agreement with 1031 Marketing to improve the project's website. Carmichael said that many people are not yet aware of what will be in place of the former Legacy Hospital, and the website will help inform community members. Hi, good evening, everybody. Thank you for allowing me to join via Zoom. It's nice to see you. Um, I am actually excited to have the opportunity to talk about this. Um, I understand you had some concerns about the uh, contract we brought forward, and that's okay because that gives me another chance to talk about Hopewell publicly, and I'll talk about it all day long, so thank you. Um, based on feedback from our Hopewell steering committee that you heard mentioned earlier, um, social media monitoring and other assorted engagement efforts, we know that many folks, and I would even venture to say the majority of people, are still unaware or at least unclear about what will become the former IU Health Hospital site. You may know our signage is limited by code to 24 square feet on the site. So this website is envisioned as our highest outreach tool to the community to inform, inspire, and excite potential future residents. We want to provide the history of the site, explain the goals of the overall project as they relate to accessibility, affordability, climate change, livability, really give a feel for what we're trying to accomplish there. And while our, the folks at U3 are really going to be focusing on the development community, this website will focus on our residents and serve as a primary source of information for anybody interested in the project, especially, again, um, folks who we hope are excited enough to want to live there in the future. 
Um, our former communications director was the lead on this project, but I'm happy to any, answer any questions and concerns you have. I know one of your concerns was the cost of the website and the maintenance. So I educated myself prior to this meeting. I reached out to some other folks uh, in the community who work with vendors on this type of thing for advice. Um, while they did not see the price as extraordinary, um, I did want to uh, address your pricing concerns. So uh, working with 1031, We've removed the professional photography and drone footage because we act, we have the tools. We can do that in-house. And so uh, they've agreed to deduct $3,000 for that. So that amended contract, and Larry, thank you for working today. I know you were trying to take the day off. Um, you should have that amended contract for your consideration um, this evening, and that will reflect that um, revision. Um, Deb, uh, addressed the uh, former website, the SOM website. Uh, one thing I want to mention about that was it, everything related to that goes back to the BloomingtonHospitalSite.org. And we're really trying to transition and brand Hopewell away from having people necessarily connect it with IU Health. We really want it to stand alone. It's the Hopewell neighborhood. Um, so that's another reason why we really need to reimagine and build about a much more robust and more current and accurate website than what we have available right now. The commission was worried about the place of building the website. They agreed that the price proposed by 1031 is too high. Because of this, they postponed the resolution until the next meeting. Deborah Meyerson shared her concerns about the price of the investment. Thank you, Mary Catherine, for further clarifications and also for going back and um, kind of um, working to see about bringing down the costs. I guess for me, one of the things that I uh, was was clarifying to me because, quite frankly, still like even this amount of money to build a website is a lot of money. Is that it seems like the expectation is not just about building a website, but really branding and marketing, and that that is included in the scope of work when it comes to, you know, the, the, the first thing that's mentioned in the scope of work is brand strategy and messaging. And my, so I have kind of like one question that's specific to this and then like a broader issue. So one is we already paid um, Borshoff, um over $82,000 for branding and marketing. So what did they do that we could take from what they did and apply it to a um, to building a website? I understand that they came back with an incredibly expensive quote on building the website, but I would imagine that we got something out of that $82,000 that could be used for the website. And then my second question is, um, what do we see this website actually doing? Because if what I gathered before last time that we spoke, it sounded like part of the reason to have an updated website was to communicate with those who might be bidding on projects and so forth. Um, and, and now it seems like the website is mostly about branding to the community and engaging the community. But in my mind, if we want to engage with the community, that happens through social media and not necessarily a website. 
And while the website has the, the scope of work in the website does say that there will be social media integration. Unfortunately, if the goal is, oh, we're going to pay this company $19,000 and that's going to automate everything and fix things for us, that's not going to actually happen because someone has to generate content for the social media. And yes, it is the case that the website maintenance um, does provide between 30 minutes to 90 minutes of content content updates a month, depending on what plan. But that's like not like you're still going to need a, someone that is spending time each week, probably, you know, several hours each week on social media, like plans and and how to communicate with the, the public. So what I worry about is that like we need a we need a good website. Um, we need it integrated into social media. I'm worried that we're overpaying for this because we're paying for stuff that we already paid for. And then in the end, we're still going to need someone to do the social media stuff that really needs to be done in order to, in order to get what we want, which is for people to, to, to know about Hopewell and to be excited about it and integrated into the community. But this is not going to do that because it's just a website. The commission approved continuing security patrol at the Hopewell project property. The property has been subject to nearly 160 incidents in the past year, prompting the commission to continue security. So as the uh, commission knows, we, you approved a security contract with uh, Marshall Security Services, MSI, um, in July of 2022. Um, that agreement expires on Thursday, and so we're asking your approval to extend uh, in an amount not to exceed $20,000, extend this contract with MSI. Uh, as we await the transfer uh, from IU Health uh, for the rest of the property. And as I think Deb Koontz mentioned, we're doing some analysis of what's the, what the best security routes are or the security plan is going forward for the entire site. Um, we need to extend this contract out. So basically be providing the same scope of service now and just extending it uh, out until we those two things meet and we can get a security plan in place. So we're uh, seeking some other security quotes for potential expanded services and sort of having a back and forth with folks as we look at what might be best. So this is, but the ask tonight is to extend that uh, for a couple months with an amount not to exceed to $20,000. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meets again on July 17th at 5 p.m. In today's feature report, Local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on the latest developments within the Monroe County Election Board. This segment is a collaboration between the B-Square Bulletin and WFHB. We turn to Dave Askins for more. At its regular monthly meeting on Thursday, Monroe County's election board took a small but important step towards the adoption of so-called vote centers as the locations where people cast their ballots. The board voted to establish a study committee for vote centers, but left the details to be sorted out at its next monthly meeting. Those details include membership, the assigned task, and the time frame for the group's work. In the Secretary of State's seven-step process, Forming a study committee is just the second step. 
Vote centers are different from the kind of precinct-based polling locations currently used by Monroe County. At a precinct-based polling site, only voters from specified precincts can cast a ballot there. Vote centers are polling places where a voter who is registered in any precinct can cast a ballot. For election administrators, it means some additional planning to make sure that all the different ballots, which are tied to different precincts, are available for voters across the county. Based on remarks at Thursday's meeting from County Attorney Molly Turner King, other Indiana counties that have adopted vote centers have taken anywhere from 12 to 18 months to complete the process. Of Indiana's 92 counties, 60 have adopted vote centers. Deputy Clerk Tressia Martin said her preference would be to wait until after the 2024 presidential election before implementing vote centers. Martin is performing the functions of the election supervisor while that position is vacant. Also at Thursday's board meeting, Martin gave an example of the way different precincts require different ballots. Precinct Richland 9 is inside the city of Bloomington. It is a small triangle making up the northwest wedge of the four corners where Richland, Bloomington, Perry, and Van Buren townships come together. Richland 9 voters will see a ballot with Bloomington municipal election candidates, but not the MCCSC tax referendum question, because Richland 9 lies outside the school district. Just across the township boundary from Richland 9 is Precinct Bloomington 6, where the ballots will include the MCCSC referendum question, as well as Bloomington city races. Something that might not be equal when comparing vote centers to precinct-specific polling locations is the total number of voting locations. A common assumption is that the average increased convenience of vote centers means that fewer of them would be needed compared to precinct-based locations. But fewer locations can impact a voter who might live a quarter mile away from their precinct-based polling site, but winds up having to travel a couple of miles to the nearest vote center. Fewer locations can lead to cost savings. That's a point made on Thursday by election board member David Henry when he said, quote, there are some good cost benefits to that activity, end quote. Henry is the Democratic Party's appointee to the board. But Nicole Brown, a Democrat who sits on the election board in her role as the elected county clerk, cautioned against any assumption that adopting vote centers necessarily means fewer vote locations. Quote, I get nervous when people talk about cost savings, Brown said. She continued saying that she would be more likely to support an approach that does not reduce the total number of polling sites, but simply makes every polling site a vote center. Brown gave as an example Marion County, which adopted vote centers in 2018. Brown said that when the transition was made, Marion County Clerk Myla Edridge did not reduce the number of polling sites, she just made every polling site a vote center, according to Brown. The number and location of the vote centers will get worked out in the vote center plan. Already at their June 28th meeting, Monroe County commissioners voted unanimously to adopt a resolution of support for vote centers. That was part of a step that the Secretary of State's office labels as Step 1, Gauge Interest. The county council seemed generally supportive of a similar resolution on their agenda the previous night, but did not vote on it. When commissioners voted on their resolution the following morning, Julie Thomas expressed her disappointment that the county council had not taken a vote. 
Thompson put it like this, quote, I really hope that this happens and the sooner the better. She added, quote, I was unhappy that the council didn't go ahead and vote last night on this because I hope it doesn't delay the process, end quote. The key step in the process is the unanimous adoption of the vote center system by the three-member election board. In 2011, the creation of vote centers in Monroe County foundered on the requirement of that unanimous vote. One of the concerns in 2011 was the lack of accessibility of sites in the vote center plan. It was reportedly a reason that Judy Smith Isle, the Republican member on the election board at the time, voted against vote centers. The current Republican appointee to the election board is former circuit court judge Judith Bankert. She attended her first meeting on Thursday, replacing Donovan Garlitz, who resigned. About the idea of establishing a study committee for vote centers, Bankert indicated that based on what she had heard Brown and Henry say, she was glad they are trying to look at all aspects of the issue before anything is decided. Bankert said, quote, I think the makeup of the study committee will be very important, end quote. After some back and forth on the topic of the study committee, the consensus of the board was to vote to establish the committee, but to leave until its next meeting a vote on the details of membership, the assigned task, and the time frame for the group's work. The election board's next regular meeting is set for August 3rd at 1 p.m. But a week from now, on July 13th, the board will resume its meeting of this week to take up the matter of a challenge that has been filed by would-be independent candidate for Bloomington Mayor Joe Davis. He wants to challenge the disqualification of around 200 signatures he submitted, which left him 14 short of the required 352 that are needed for his name to be placed on the ballot. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. On today's episode of Lil Bub's Lil Show, we're going to be talking about Sycamore Land Trust. Sycamore Land Trust's mission is to preserve the beauty, health, and diversity of Southern Indiana's natural landscape through strategic land conservation and environmental education. Sycamore Land Trust wants you to know more about the wildlife communities that depend on the land they protect. In 2021, they set up 15 motion-triggered wildlife cameras at Bean Blossom Bottoms Nature Preserve and other preserves along Bean Blossom Creek in Monroe County. They chose locations they know are frequented by animals, game trails, creeks, a fallen log used across a meadow, a beaver dam that creates a natural bridge, and more. Their dam cam, beaver lodge cam, squirrel log cam, and many other motion-triggered wildlife cameras 
provide a window into the world of southern Indiana wildlife. So far, they've recorded more than 50 animal species and are keeping an inventory of what they see. This will give them a baseline to measure the success of their large-scale wetland restoration and native planting projects taking place in this area. It will also help guide their stewardship plans for these nature preserves to benefit threatened and endangered species. One of the species caught on their trail cams in our featured animal today is the coyote. Coyotes are native to Indiana and were often called prairie wolves. Before the European settlement of Indiana, coyotes were primarily restricted to prairie regions of the state. But today, coyotes are found throughout Indiana, including in urban areas. The coyote closely resembles a German shepherd dog in height and shape, but it carries its tail below the level of its back instead of curved upward and is generally half the weight of a German shepherd. Coyotes have a long, slender snout and large, pointed ears. The upper body is a grizzled gray or buff with a reddish-brown or gray muzzle and legs. The belly is white, cream-colored, or reddish-yellow. Coyotes have bushy tails and average 25 pounds, up to 50 pounds, and they measure 40 to 50 inches long from nose to tail tip. They are elusive animals and normally avoid humans. They can be active day or night but are typically most active at dawn and dusk. Coyotes communicate by barking, yipping, and howling. Coyotes are opportunistic foragers and will consume anything of nutritional value. They primarily feed on small mammals like rabbits and squirrels, even in urban environments. But they will not turn down an easy meal, nor will they pass up a free meal from human-provided food sources. They will scavenge exposed garbage or other refuse, and while it's rare, they have even been known to kill and consume house cats and small dogs. Besides small mammals, rabbits, and squirrels, coyotes may also eat fruit, insects, poultry, livestock, deer, especially fawns and roadkill deer, songbirds, and sometimes game birds. If you'd like to see coyotes in their natural habitat here in Indiana, just visit Sycamore Land Trust's trail cams. You can access them through their website, sycamorelandtrust.org. You can also visit one of the many preserves or trails Sycamore Land Trust maintains that are free to the public. Sycamore Land Trust provides our South Central Indiana community with so many incredible resources. To end today's episode, I'd like to go over an essential piece of why Sycamore Land Trust's work is important. It's no secret that climate change affects all of us. While the impacts seem to be increasing, People are coming together in great numbers to solve the problems we face. Land conservation is a vital part of this response because protecting nature is one of the best ways to ensure a healthy climate. Land conservation projects that are strategic about the types of habitats they protect can have tremendous impacts such as clean water, healthy soil for farming, increased biodiversity, which strengthens ecosystems, more habitat options for endangered and protected species, healthy native plants for pollinators on which our crops depend, clean air for mature forests, balanced ecosystems free from the effects of invasive species. And if you'd like to learn more about the land they protect, I encourage you to get out and explore one of their trails in person. To find this information, you can visit their website 
at sycamorelandtrust.org. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information is online at mpisolarenergy.com. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 